So, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. We are reading on 3, 2, 1. And to the church, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, right, sorry, the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you would that you were either cold or hot? So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come to him and eat with him and he with me the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I was conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Beloved, look over to your neighbor and say, Neighbor, oh neighbor, are you lukewarm? We may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Can you all hear me well without the mic? No? Can you hear me? Thank you, thank you. So I can't, you know, hold both at once. So where have we been so far? Last, this, this month, right? We've been looking at modern day Turkey. These churches that we talk about, like they're places that we could actually go to, right? So we've been, do you guys know where Turkey is? I mean, where's Turkey? Huh? Not Thanksgiving, Turkey. Huh? It's near Russia? Close? Yeah, it's near there. It's in those areas. Kind of a little far off, but it's in a country in Asia. All right? So, Turkey is where all these seven churches are. Right? And so far, we've gone through the church at Ephesus, the church at Smyrna. Right? So where's Ephesus? Right here. Smyrna is right there. We, then, we, then we went on over to Pergamum, and we came to Thyatira, right? And then we went to Sardis, and last week we talked about Philadelphia as well. And today, we are talking about Laodicea. Laodicea. But before we jump into Laodicea, I want to come and summarize what we've learned so far from the other churches. And you guys will see that in the paper that I've given you. So if we go through that a little bit together, we see what was the problem that Jesus Christ had with these churches, right? So the first church that we have, we have Ephesus. And the, the church at Ephesus, they did a really good job of having really solid doctrine, right? We talked about what a doctrine is, a belief that kind of, that, that, that solidifies that particular church, right? So, for example, salvation by faith alone, through Christ alone, right? Those are particular things that are known as doctrines, how we are saved, all those different things. They did really good at that. They were really solid. There were people that you would say, hey, they, they may even have a seminary degree, 
seminaries where they go to, to school to study the Bible, things like that. But they had a problem, right? They lost the first love. And we said, what was the first love? The first love is loving God and then loving God's people. Amen? So we learned that we are to love God. Remember that. The solution for that was remember, repent, and do the works that we used to do at first. Sometimes we can, we, we easily do, the, do, do work for God, but then when we get upset about, with, you know, usually other people in our vicinity, we stop doing work for God and we lose that love. We get church hurt. And it is, it, it is real. But we are taught, we are taught by the, by, by the Lord that we have to go back to our first love. If we are going to love God, we got to love people as well. Amen? And then we went into Smyrna. We said Smyrna is a place that is spiritually rich. You know, they don't have a lot of money. Like, they don't have a lot of dollar-dollar bills, y'all. But they are spiritually... What? Why are you laughing at me, man? I'm trying to stay current with the culture. Come on, Steve. Anyway, they're people... <laughs> they're not spiritually... They're very spiritually rich. They're a small church, right? But they know the Lord and they love the Lord. So because of that, they have absolutely no rebuke. That's what's really cool. The solution that God says, be faithful unto death, right? Then we go to Pergamum. Pergamum was a crazy place, right? He said that the, problem, the, the good thing that they had about them, as crazy as they may have been, is that they held fast unto Christ's name and they didn't deny the faith. But there was a problem. There was some false teaching going around in the church. So he said that when you're looking for a church, make sure that your church does not have that particular false teaching and that the church is, is a Bible-believing church. Bible teaching church. Amen? So then, what was the solution for that, for those people? The solution was that they repent. And then we went on to Thyatira. The commendation for those guys, a commendation is something good. What is, what is it that they're doing positively? Okay? And the commendation for them is that they are growing love and they have evidence in deeds of service. So they do good works. You know, they feed the homeless. They help the poor. All those different things. But what, what was the problem? They did not have any discernment and they tolerated beliefs that contradicted the Bible. In Thyatira, I believe, is when we talked about Gnosticism. You guys remember that word? Those who, pre- those who teach the ways of oh, Gnosticism and the, 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 the Nicolaitans. Does anybody remember that word, Nicolaitans? Right? So those that, that have a belief that as so long as you love God, there's no problem. Live your life however you want. But that is very contrary to the Lord, right? So that, we got to kind of put in context how things, how these people, how these Jews were living at that particular time. And it gives us insight into the type of struggle that they're going through. You guys may look at your life right now and say, what type of struggle am I going through? And then you apply the word accordingly. So then, from there, we went to Sardis. Now, Sardis was a little crazy as well. But in Sardis, at least there were a few people that were good. There were a few people that still held on fast to the Lord. And Sardis was a place where they said that they felt like they were alive, but they were dead. God was telling them that, that they felt like they, they were doing all these things that, you know, they're also helping the poor, helping the homeless, but they too were also dead. What was the solution for them? To keep the word and repent. You guys kind of see how there's repent kind of going through each and every single one of these. You guys know what repent means, right? So repent means to turn, right? Turn away from your sin. It's not saying, it's not just being sorry about a particular thing. I can be sorry all I want, but if I continue in those type of ways, 
you know, have I truly repented? No. God is looking for a repented heart, one that has changed for him. And then we talked about Philadelphia, and we said Philadelphia was probably the gold standard. Not Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia in Turkey, okay? What was the good thing that they were doing? That they were enduring and keeping God's word, and they didn't deny him no matter what, right? So Philadelphia was a place that they probably didn't have much money either. They were a pretty small church, but they loved God so much. And what was the solution that was given to them? That they hold fast onto what they have. Keep on doing what you're doing. We see there's absolutely no rebuke for Philadelphia and there's no rebuke for Smyrna. This doesn't mean that they're perfect. God is not looking for a perfect person. God is looking for a faithful person. Okay? So, we make mistakes, we err, but what makes us different as believers, you and me as followers of Jesus Christ, is that we repent and we go back to the Lord and seek forgiveness. Amen? So, Today we are going into our last church, and the church is Laodicea. Kind of give a background as to why we've been going through all of these topics. I understand that someday you guys are all going to grow up, you grow old, and you'll go to different churches perhaps. You may even go to, you know, move from this place. But when you go, we want to make sure that you're well equipped with knowing what to look for in a particular church. What type of things you used to see when you go out to college, when you go off to, you know, get a different job somewhere else. If, you, if your family moves, you know what type of church to look out for, right? There are many, many churches out there in the world today, but, not, but the Holy Spirit is not in each and every single one of them. So we have to be very careful that the Holy Spirit is active and working in each and every single place that we go. So this brings us to Laodicea, right? And Laodicea, the commendation, there's absolutely no commendation. You see how crazy that is? But we'll get to why that is in a second. I'm going to bring up the map again. I'm not the best at drawing. If you want to see what Turkey looks like, y'all can check it out later. It's not an actual Turkey. It's not shaped that way at all. I don't know how they got their name. But Laodicea, you guys see right here, it was named after um, this king that had kind of conquered that particular area back in 230 BC or so. When I say BC, do you guys understand what that means? No. Yes, yes. BC, before Christ. When I say AD, do you understand what that means? Huh? AD is not after death. Huh? After what? After born? No, AD is not after born. That's a good try. I want to explain that to you guys very quickly. So that you know oh, what we're dealing with. All right. Everybody pay attention. We have a timeline. What year are we in right now? 2019. I don't have a Sharpie, so you guys will have to deal with my pen. Oh, boy, this is terrible. Can you guys see a little bit? Yes. Not at all. Who can't see at all? Oh, not at all. If you can't see at all, you can, you know, kind of come on up. But anyway, what I'm trying to explain is that BC, yes, it's before Christ. Good job. So all those years, you know, we go to Noah's time, Abraham's time. Yes? Huh? The AD or the BC? AD? Okay. We'll get to that part in a, in a second, and then she'll answer that for us. Yes? Huh? Before, which one? The AD? 
No, BC is not before time. BC is before Jesus Christ. Right? So, question? Oh, I think he's gonna I think he's gonna steal your fire here. What is it? Anno Domino, good job. You got it. Exactly. AD is Anno Domino. Um, the youngins are out here killing it. So good job, good job. So AD is Anno Domino. Now what does Anno Domino mean? I'll explain that in a quick second. So we have our map, we have our timeline, right? And we got, let's say, 100 BC, right? All the way to zero. And then we have one. There is no time as zero. Jesus Christ was born in 1 AD. Right? Jesus Christ was born in 1 AD. BC is before Christ. So you can't have Jesus here. Am I making sense? So all that happened here, all the things you guys are reading about Noah and Moses and Abraham and all those guys, all of that happened here. Then when Christ comes, that's when we have A.D. And A.D. is the Anno Domino, as you said. And it is a Latin word pretty much saying, in the year of our Lord. So we are in the year 2019 A.D. 2019 years after Jesus Christ came onto this earth. Isn't that crazy? The entire world follows the map of the Lord, the timeline of our Lord. Regardless of whether you're a Christian or not, where we start our time, we're saying this is 2019 after the Lord. I think, I think that is pretty awesome. So, Laodicea has been there since B.C., but they get this commendation during A.D. So they get, the, they get this around 90 to 100 A.D. when the book of Revelation was written. Okay? Does that all make sense, guys? And Revelation was written by... John, John on the island of Patmos, okay? And we say that Patmos is out here. It's pretty much where they sent all the exiles. Patmos, if you go to Patmos, it's not, it's not for vacation. You ain't coming back, right? So it's not where you want to be, right? But John was sent there because he was teaching about the, the, God's word in Ephesus, right? Then he got sent on over here to Patmos. We all following? All right. So, Jesus Christ himself gives a revelation to John. Right? So, Jesus is the one who is speaking here. All these words that we just read together. I want us to read it together and really think through it. Because Jesus says, you know, after God died, right? Jesus Christ died in 33 AD. Correct. 33 AD. Really awesome. That's when our Lord and Savior died and was resurrected right so we're looking 90 AD now so he sent out his his apostles he sent out his disciples to go and preach the good news about Jesus Christ to go and spread the word about God's love all of those things and now about 60 years later we've got this kind of letter kind of it's sort of it's sort of like a review right how are you guys doing how are these churches doing right so Jesus writes this letter and it's sent to each and every single one of these churches just to tell them, kind of give them a scorecard of how they're doing. So he tells them all the things that they're doing right and all the things that they're not doing so well. Right? So as we said earlier, which churches got the good review? 
and, and, and no rebuke. Which one? Philadelphia and which one? And Smyrna. Exactly. So Philadelphia and Smyrna, they got good reviews, not because they're perfect, because they have faith in the Lord. That's how we are to live our lives as well. So looking at Laodicea today is what we're really talking about. There's two other places that I need to kind of give you to add some context as to what we're doing. Every single time you guys read the Bible, you have to make sure that you, you get an understanding of what context you're looking at. Because when you look at the context, that's what's really going to open up and help you understand what it is that we just read. Like all these things about buying, buying you know, gold or refined, it makes sense when you put it into the context, okay? So for, for you guys to get the context, there's two other places that are not mentioned here, but are mentioned in other parts of the Bible. And those two places, or those two cities, are, are Colossae and... Um, And, 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 and Heropolis. Colossae and Heropolis. So, if this is Laodicea, right? Colossae is like over here. Heropolis is like over here. They're really close to Laodicea, right? Colossae is about five miles out. Sorry, 10 miles out. Heropolis is about five miles away. They have a lot of things in common. Does the name Colossae sound familiar to any of you? Hmm? Colossus? Uh huh. So which one? There, there's a book about them. Huh? Colossians? Yep. Exactly. So they, they are the Colossians. Yes, question? Yeah. Uh-huh. So how did we become God? How did we become God? So we are not God. We are taught by the Bible that we are not God. Uh, hmm? Thank you. Did you have a particular question? No? Okay. So hold, hold it to the end, okay? I want to make sure that we're staying focused here. But thank you for that. Um, so Laodicea. Let's take some notes here now. All right? Laodicea was a very rich city. They got money. When we're talking money, they got money. All right? You think you got money, they got money. You think there's people in D.C. with money, they got money. Right? You think I got money, I ain't got no money. If I had money, we'd all be eating cupcakes and pizza for my birthday celebration out here. But anyway, so it was a very rich city. Think of it like the DMV that I've just talked to you guys about. Think of Laodicea as D.C., all right? And think of Virginia as Colossae. Think of Heropolis as Maryland, right? We're all next to each other. Laodicea is an intersection city, okay? It was known for trading wool. Um, they had really well-established banks. They had a lot of gold. I thought she was going to mine, you think, you know, Ghana, gold, coast. They, they had gold. 
right? And it was a trading intersection, as I mentioned, just like DC. It's where people went to for work. And here, all these other churches that we've talked about, here the Jews were not a minority. There were a ton of Jews, about 2,000 of them were sent over from Babylon to this place. But there was a problem. Their Christianity was a rubber stamp. There was absolutely nothing good that had come here in Laodicea. Why did I mention Heropolis? Because Heropolis is a place, even to this day, known for hot springs. Have you guys ever been to a hot spring? No? I haven't either. But if you guys ever want to, you know, fund me to go, I'll, I'll, I'll greatly appreciate it. Um, it was a place known for hot springs. So they had a lot of really hot water there. And then when we talk about Colossae, the reason why I bring up Colossae is because they had a lot of cold water. Cold water is good. Right? It's good. You can use it to do so many different things. But Laodicea, on the other hand, there was quite a bit of a problem with their water. They didn't really have good solid water in their own place. So they had to draw water from Heropolis and Colossae. That making sense? They had to get water from these two places. So they built pretty much a five-mile pipeline. They had that much money to build a pipe that ran underground to get water all the way from Colossae and Heropolis. And when all this stuff happened, even when it got to, when it eventually got to um, Laodicea, the water was known as being lukewarm. Anybody know what lukewarm is? Hmm? Just warm. Yeah, not too hot, not cold. You can't really do anything with lukewarm. Hmm? Question? Just right? Uh, I don't know about that. I would have called it just right. <laughs> but when Christ wants our attention, one of the points I want you guys to note, when Christ wants our attention, he will speak to us in a way that makes sense to us. When Christ wants your attention, he will speak to you in a way that makes sense to you. So the context that I've given you guys matters. Why does Jesus describe these guys as neither hot nor cold? Because that's what makes sense to them. They know what he's talking about when he's, when he's referencing Colossae and when he's referencing Heropolis. That they've got that lukewarm water. Lukewarm, beloved, is useless. Nothing that you can do with it. And God describes this church as, as lukewarm. He said, were it better if you were hot or cold? Hot so you can be useful, like the, like the ones in Heropolis, or cold so you can be useful as well, like in Colossae. But instead, you are lukewarm. You don't have to answer this question, because I always ask rhetorical questions often. But are you lukewarm? When you look at your relationship with Jesus Christ, are you useful? Do you make God sick? All of these other churches we've been through, they are all... They had, some, they had some terrible things that God mentions, five of them. 
But this is the only church that God says that you make me sick. The point number one that we have is for you guys to ask yourself those questions. To assess, sorry, I turned on the mic. (laughs) To assess those questions. Do you make God sick? How are we living our lives? At times we feel like we're on fire for God or we're doing really well for God. And other times we just backslide. If I put my foot on this podium here, my other foot was just free, and I'm trying to walk over there, I'm going to struggle, right? It's going to be pretty difficult for me to get over there. I, I might not even be able to do it. But if I just have both feet on the ground and walk towards there, it's easier. So God is asking you today, where are your feet? Where are your feet, beloved? Is one with God and one in the world? Where do you lie? Point number two. When the Christian misdiagnoses his or her spiritual health, or fails to assess the spiritual condition, he or she is lost. I'll say that again, and then we'll, and then we'll break it down. When the Christian misdiagnoses his or her spiritual health, or fails to assess spiritual condition, he or she is lost. What Christ tells us about this church They think that they are rich. We see the verse 17. I'll reread that part again. It says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Let's bring that to something that maybe is is in our realm. Something that we can potentially relate to here. I'm going to rephrase this to kind of give it our context. When you say, I have parents, I have friends, I'm young and healthy, and I need nothing, what do I need Jesus for? I'm I'm good. Not realizing that you are wretched, poor, blind, and in desperate need of Jesus. The church at Laodicea thought they had everything. When you've got a bunch of money, people say that, you know, it's hard to serve God in the tough times. I, I, I disagree. I think it's harder to serve God in the good times. When you have a whole bunch of money and possibly to, to distract yourself with everything. Beloved, we must be able to ask the Holy Spirit to help us diagnose our spiritual condition. Where are you with Jesus? Do you love God? When you say that, do you truly love God? Not now, please. Do you truly love God? We must be careful. Point three. Point three for my point, people. 
We may be able to obtain physical wealth, but it is all temporary. We may be able to obtain physical wealth, but it is all temporary. Only the riches from Christ are eternal. Then one of the things that we taught last week was that Satan has two jobs. That he deceives you on earth and he accuses you in heaven before the Lord. We see in Revelation, I believe, 12 or so, that that's what it tells that that, that Satan, the great accuser of the brethren, has been, has been struck down. While on this earth, he's deceiving you. He's making you think that things that are bad are good. Like here, how, how we manage our money, there's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. It really isn't. The problem is how you steward that money. What does it mean to be a steward? Question? No? The problem is how you steward that money. People say that money is a good servant and a bad master. Do you serve the money or does the money serve you? Are you able to use that money to have the works of the Lord accomplished in life? In the verse 18, he talks about how he counsels them to buy from him gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. Buy from God gold? What does that even mean? Right? Buy from God gold. And the context behind this, as I said, context matters, is that the Laodiceans had so much money these guys were minting their own coins. They were, they were building their own coins. That's how much money these guys had. In fact, they had so much money that when they got ran over, they didn't go to Rome to get any money. They rebuilt their own place. They rebuilt their own city. But God's telling them that that money means absolutely nothing. In the long run, all these things that you're chasing... They mean absolutely nothing. If Jesus Christ is not your main focus, what shall a man gain? Can you guys help me with this? Because I don't remember. He gains the world and loses his soul. What shall it profit a man? Alright? So we have to make sure that yes, money is good. But money mishandled can be troublesome for your life and can draw you further away from God than drawing you closer to God. When we have money, we have to be, so many things that we can use it for to be able to help the kingdom of the Lord. That's how we ought to go about it. Then point number four for my point, people. Point number four is that God disciplines us to correct a flaw within us that will hinder us from spending eternity with him. Why does God discipline us? Discipline is not fun. You guys remember a time when your parents disciplined you? Anybody want to share what that was like? 
Alright, no, no? Alright, cool. I would share some about my brother, but that's not cool. But I know that when God disciplined, when my parents disciplined me, um, that wasn't fun at that particular time. And, you know, when we say discipline, I wish I had the, you know, you know, the, the, the American discipline, but I had the African discipline. I was disciplined so much, guys. Even in school, like, I didn't want to study. I didn't want to do anything, right? I think I was, like, in, in first grade or something. And we, we used to have, um, like, uniforms that we had to wear to school, right? So what I did, because I'm, I'm clever, you know, I had, like, five or six different pairs of pants. And I knew that I wasn't trying to do my homework. I was trying to play with my kids. I was trying to play with my friends. What do I need like, to do homework for? I just want to go do hood rat stuff with my hood rat friends. Anybody get that reference? No? No? Okay, I'm way really old. Huh? Nobody gets that reference? I'm just trying to do hood rat stuff with my hood rat friends. No? All right. Man. All right. Anyway, that's what I was trying to do. So I wasn't trying to do my homework. I wasn't trying to eat my food. So I go to class. I put on five pairs of pants. All of them. And the teacher, you know, back then, we, we got canes, man. He said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I know you ain't been beat. Since so my teacher, we had, he had canes. All right? And it was like this long cane. And the thing is, like, this cane, it wasn't like, it wasn't the type of thing that would do that much damage. But just the way that the length and everything, it just made it seem intimidating, you know? So since I didn't do my homework, they called me up. And they got the cane out. And they said, whoosh, hit my butt. And you know, I was like, after they did it, like two seconds later, I was like, oh no, oh no. But that's how I got away with that. But God disciplines us. So God disciplines us. We try to get out of it as well. Right? We, nobody likes discipline. How have you tried to escape God's discipline? How did Jonah try to escape God's discipline? What did he do? What did Jonah do, guys? I want to make sure you guys are prepared. What did Jonah do? Mm-mm. For my incoming people here, what did Jonah do when God told him to go to Nineveh? He ran away. He ran away. Are you running away? That was to teach Jonah discipline. To go on over to Nineveh. And you're disciplined to the point that you can listen to what God is telling you to do. But instead, he runs away. And when he ran away, things only got worse instead of getting better. But even through that, God still protected him. Even when you're being disobedient, God is still protecting you. A few days later or a few weeks later after you get disciplined by your parents. You're usually cool with them, right? You're out getting ice cream, you're hanging out. I mean, you remember that it happened, but you know, you can't, you just gotta let it go, you know? Think about this. If you had like, um, if you had something on your face, right? Would you want the person next to you to tell you that, hey, you got something on your face, take it off? Hmm? 
right? So that you're helping them, right? If God hated us, there will be absolutely no discipline when we do wrong. Because if God hated us, He would not want us to be with Him in heaven. But God is expecting holiness out of us. And we can't get there if when we mess up, God does not discipline us. So put all this in the context of when you're looking for a church. Seeking for a church that is not lukewarm. A church where the Holy Spirit dwells. A church that does not make God sick. Because there are consequences for this. A church without the Holy Spirit, a church that is devoid of anything Christ, God is coming for that church to destroy it. But before then, God loves us so much that he's still giving us chances. And this brings us to point number five. And point number five is, that Christ is always knocking. Christ is always knocking. But we are not ready to open. Christ is always knocking on the door, but we are not ready to open because we do not hear the door knock. There's two reasons. One, we do not hear the door knock. And the second one, which is also pretty prevalent, is Christ is always knocking, but we're not ready to open the door because we want to clean up the house first before we allow him in. Let's bring this to a way that we can understand and break this down. Have you guys ever hosted a party? Or have you ever been to a party at your house? Somebody had a party at your house, right? Okay. What was it like when you did that? Was there music? There was music, right? Okay. Usually when somebody would come to the house, like, they would knock on the doorbell, would you hear it that well? There's a bunch of music going on? No. Not at all. You can't hear the door. Cover your ears, everybody. Can you hear this? You didn't cover your ears. <laughs> Can you hear this? You're not covering your ears. Can you hear it? No. No. Right? Right? You can hear that one, right? But how about this one? <coughs> you see it, but you don't hear it. <laughs> okay, put your, put your hands down, guys. What I'm essentially trying to explain to us is that when our ears are clogged up with sin, when our ears are filled with so many untruths, when our ears are filled with so many distractions, God is knocking, but we're not going to hear it. God is always knocking. 
when we have so many distractions. And in our day, in, our, in your life, what does the distraction look like? Only you truly know deep down what that distraction looks like. The only generalization ones that I give are what? There's friends, people we want to hang out with. Who speaks into your life? Your friends that speak into your life, believe it or not, they are running your life. You're in the passenger seat, and your friend's in the driver's seat of your life. Because they give you advice, they tell you different things. And if it's contrary to what the Word of God is saying, beloved, you need to get some new friends. Are you that crazy about God to be able to do something like that? And the second one that I think is pretty prevalent as well, why we don't open the door when Christ is knocking. It's because we want to clean up first. When you have guests come over, right? I don't know if, if your parents have some guests coming over, what do they normally tell you to do? It's a clean up, right? Is say, hey, 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 hey. Go and clean, go and clean. Right, clean your room. If you, and then they tell you to clean your room, right? They're like, man, the guests ain't gonna come to my room. I gotta clean my room. But anyway, they still tell you to clean up. Um, and everything has to be shiny. Everything has to be nice before the guests can come in. And when you have family coming over, you got like a cousin or something coming over. That, that's like your friend, you hang out with them. What do you normally do? Like, do you rush to clean up? No? You still rush to clean up? In my situation, when it's a family, somebody that I know very well, I have a good relationship with, see where we're going with this, I have a good relationship with, they already kind of know my life. And I know they know my life. I've been to their house, they've been to my house. We know we both dirty, right? So when they come on on in, just come on in. Love, we think that our sins are so dirty and our problems are so bad that we want to fix it ourselves before we let God in. But that's not the way it's supposed to go. That will never work. You can't fix yourself. If you could fix yourself, there would be no point of Jesus Christ. Christ already knows the dirt that's inside. So what is the solution? The solution is that we need to stop seeing Jesus as a guest. And we need to start seeing Jesus as our brother. The brother that we have over to our house all the time. Start to see Jesus as your brother, as co-heir with Christ, instead of a guest that you have over to your place every now and then. If Christ is a guest to you, then you need to assess your relationship with him. Is Christ somebody that you just visit once a month, that comes by once a month? 
Or you give the time of day once a month. Or is he somebody that you know? Because when we start to see Christ as our family, it becomes easier to allow him into our mess. And beloved, you think you got mess? We all got mess. I'm myself standing up here, tons of mess. I can't clean it up. I tried so long to just clean up myself. I can't clean it up. But when Christ came into my life, it's when he made all things new. He brought all the cleaners, just everything. So when you're looking for a church, make sure that that church is ready to open the door for Christ to enter. Christ is standing in front of many churches just as he stood in front of Laodicea. Just as he today stands in front of Laodicea. And he's knocking. He's saying, let me in. And I will come and eat with you. What does that verse say? It said, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. It's funny, a church has communion, but the main person's not there. When a church gathers, but the main person is not there. When Jesus Christ is not there, we got to assess what's going on. So we've looked at all these churches. You see that there's no one perfect church. Two churches that remain faithful and stay faithful to the Lord. Beloved, Christ is knocking. And he will continue to knock until time runs out. And time will run out. Jesus will come again. And when he comes again, he's not coming in peace. He's coming for war. Will you open the door? Let us pray.